Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. It's our first Sunday of April 2022. I can't believe it. How time flies. I just love new beginnings. I love the beginning of new months because it is a time for me when I like to reflect on the month gone by and then I like to recommit to habits that reinforce my daily self-care. I don't know about you, but I always find that it's easy to kind of get set off track at some point mid-month and so the beginning of the month always feels like a really intuitive time to look at how I've been doing as far as my commitment to my own personal asana practice goes as well as my meditation my pranayama you know have I found time to journal get out and walk in nature I like to do that every day drink more water, napping, you know, all the things that help to increase that sense of balance in my life. So I feel like this is a wonderful time to just reflect for yourself, you know, maybe journal if you like journaling or just sit and think about how you can fill your own cup first so that you can show up and serve people in your fullest capacity. Um, If you would like to join me Sunday, April 10th, it's coming up, you can join my half-day retreat. And in this retreat, we're going to try to breathe some new life into your yoga practice. We're going to focus on meditation and pranayama with some gentle asana practice. And then we're going to look at connecting to higher energy, envisioning your dreams, and plugging into your bigger life purpose, and some of the practices and maybe maybe some mindset shifts that can really help you to create more clarity and help you move forward in your life. So I would love for you to join Sunday, April 10th. Uh, you can find all the note or all the information in the notes, in the show notes, and also on my website, harmonyslater.com. It's going to be just a really nice time to meet together and practice together and go deeper into your yoga practice and also look at what really nourishes your spirit, you know, designing your own personal self-care practice from a spirit-centered point of view. What is it that really helps you, that's really going to move the dial, um, not just for you, personally or in your self-care but also spiritually and even like in the rest of your life right sometimes we're doing things in our practices just because we feel like we should be doing them rather than they're really the things that are supporting our energy and our families and what we need at this stage or at this time in our life so we're going to look at all of that good stuff on April 10th in the half day retreat it's called the spirit center self-care retreat and I look forward to seeing you there. Today we have a wonderful guest who has her own vegan cooking show on YouTube called Vegan Vitality. She is also a practitioner who's worked in the wellness field for over 30 years. She has a master's degree in exercise physiology and at one point she was working for Deepak Chopra as his personal trainer. 
So she's a wonderful human being. Um, Many of you have probably met her in person or know her. She used to own a yoga studio for many, many years. And she is just a lover of animals. She's a lover of humans. She's a lover of taking care of yourself and nourishing yourself in all of these positive ways, especially with diet and as an addition to your yoga practice. So we're going to talk together um, and you're going to really, I hope, learn some things. She has several books that she's published. One is Yoga's Path to Weight Loss, A Mind, Body, Spirit Guide to Loving Yourself Lean, which sounds very interesting. And The Cheerleader Speaks, What God Taught Me About Men and Myself. And she has a new book coming out too, which we will also be talking about. So Kathleen Kessner, she is just um, a phenomenal practitioner and human being. And she's now living in Encinitas. And I can't wait for you to meet her. Um, You're going to love her energy. She's just vibrant. And um, she's going to inspire you for sure to um, live your healthiest, most um, energetic, most vibrant, most delicious life that you possibly can. And be sure to check out her YouTube channel, uh, Vegan Vitality, especially if you're looking for some new ideas for vegan cooking. It will be a great way to support your own um, practice of creating your own meals that are healthy and nutritious and delicious. So without any further ado, let's move on to our interview today with the beautiful Kathleen Kessner. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy to say hello today to Russell Case. Oh, good morning, Harmony. Good morning. And we are joined by the beautiful Kathleen Kessner. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? Hi, I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm excited to get into it. You have so many amazing things to share. Oh, thank you. You do seem to have a, a lot going on. We're going to try and get into them. And um, it's it's in really incredible. You have a, you must have a... Uh, like a uh, a schedule that you keep. <laughs> How do you do all the things that you do? How do you fit it all in? Oh, you guys, I really, I really don't do much compared to the two of you. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have a, a real. This is the best chapter of my life, really, for free time. But I, I do try to get things done when they need to be done. But I have a lot of time in nature. That's for sure. Oh, that's amazing. Nice. I, I just have a little intro uh, for our listeners in Florida. Uh, we, I think we, we have a couple of listeners in Sweden, Florida. Where else? Iceland. Iceland, yeah. Okay. <laughs> also America and Canada. Well, I, I, I said Florida already. Um, <laughs> Kathleen Kastner, and I did I pronounce that right as well? Yes, Kastner. that's great. Kathleen Kastner is a yoga teacher, author, <laughs> and vegan cooking instructor located in Encinitas, California. Yoga found her in 1993 while she was working for Dr. Deepak Chopra as his personal trainer. 
and her life began to shift in a positive direction. She has three cats. We saw one of them, a little white one, Noah, uh, Elijah, 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 and Olivia, and a stepmom to Caden and Kaya, who live in Las Vegas, which sounds very intriguing. Are you in Encinitas now? Yes. My husband, Wade, and I moved here from Kansas City seven years ago to, of course, practice with Tim Miller mm-hmm. and to be oh, close wow. to Self-Realization Fellowship, Yogananda's church. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, that's amazing. You, How long have you been connected with the Self-Realization Fellowship? You know, since, gosh, it's, my life is such a long story. I don't know where to begin, but in, well, I was in Kansas City. <laughs> For 16 years, and believe it or not, there is a SRF in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. It's a long story, but when Yogananda first came to the U.S., he did a tour, and he went to Kansas City and met a wealthy businessman named James Lynn. And James Lynn and him immediately connected. And anyway, James Lynn was a big funder of SRF and ended up buying him all this land where the ashram and next to Swami's beach here in Encinitas and became president of SRF when Yogananda passed. So uh, his spiritual name was, uh, um, gosh. My my understanding is his name is Rajarshi Janakananda. Yeah. We say Rajashri. Rajashri. Yeah. Wow. Rajashri. Here he's from Archibald, Louisiana. How about that? Yeah, he was originally, and then uh, he was in Kansas City for years. And okay. so Kansas City started their own, they call it Kansas City Meditation Group. But gosh, when I was going there in 2008, it had already been there 20 or 30 years. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's a, and then when I moved to Santa Monica, you know, Lake Shrine is there. And when mm-hmm. I met my husband, he, you know, he was wanting to go. He had run an autobiography of a yogi. So, I guess since 2008. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Wow. I guess he and I went in the opposite directions. He he went from Archibald to Kansas. I went from, from Kansas to Louisiana. And yeah. so we just kind of reversed. Exactly. I think he's a lot older than you. He's know. probably a little yeah. bit older than me, <laughs> yeah. but I'm sure we have a lot in common. Yeah. That's it's amazing because I think Autobiography of a Yogi um was a book that sort of brought many of us into the path of yoga. It was such a iconic book. Yes. I remember getting it at Yoga Works in the 90s yeah. and, and not really, of course, understanding what I was doing. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, was just, you know, amazed by his story. And I wish I would have dove in, you know, right away to the path of, of SRF, but I was brand new to Asana. Again, I was from Kansas. I, I did, This was all like a whole new world to me. I had never heard of yoga or consciousness. You know, nobody in my life was doing any of that when I was growing up. Yeah, no, hmm. it's, it's, I mean, even in the 90s, which was sort of like when yoga was, I mean, yoga was really becoming popular outside of like transcendental meditation. Um, it still wasn't that popular. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It was still kind of weird and people were really like a little bit suspicious of it. Yeah. I I wish, I know I would have loved it as a kid. I wish someone would have introduced me, but I guess it just wasn't meant to be. You you know, when I picked up the book, speaking of suspicious, my brother, it really set my brother off. Like I was changed. Like Reading autobiography of a yogi. I was, and he was a little bit weirded out by me. 
in the in the weeks following because <laughs> I was I had such a different kind of suddenly a different mindset about things and I was very passionate suddenly because for me it all hinged on this this notion of of what God was and up until that point I had developed a um, a real um, oh. Aversion, aversion to it because I had a bad experience in the church, and I had a bad, and I was just not sure about it anymore. And reading autobiography of a yogi, it seemed to sort of flip the the definition of God on its tail. So, in, like instead of seeing like a on its head, uh huh. <laughs> instead of seeing like a presiding judge hanging over me, it was you know this kind of understanding that all things are consciousness and all things are God, and it let me be passionate about my spiritual path in a way that I that I was really frustrated with previous to that. That makes perfect sense. I think that's one of the the most beautiful things Yogananda did for people. He helped bridge that gap. Um, mm-hmm. between God and even Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. I know for my husband was indifferent <laughs> uh, from his upbringing. And so for him, he always says, you know, Yogananda's work has helped him bridge that gap. And I, I feel like that's happened for a lot of people because the church is called the church of all religions, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. welcome. And he referred to God as father, mother, God, friend, so in case someone had a negative connotation about their father, but yeah. they resonated with divine mother, or if they didn't have a positive experience with their mother, you know, you just say friend. And mm-hmm. that's the way I always taught um, when I was teaching Kansas City is to just think of God as your absolute best friend. You know, there's no mm-hmm. dogma. There's definitely no guilt and shame. Nobody loves you more than mm-hmm. God. And yeah. just to, to see it in a positive light, because even though I was, I was raised going to church for some reason, my parents never talked to me about God or Jesus. And, you know, my dad carried the cross and we went, but you know, they didn't talk about it at all ever. I don't know why, but so for me, maybe it was a positive because I always thought God was love and I, I would look up at the cross and, and felt love. I just, I just, it was always a positive for me. So I always felt really Mm -hmm. lucky for that. But for people who had a different experience, that's why being one of the many reasons Yogananda's teachings have resonated with people all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny because did you take your husband's name, Kastner? No, that's my maiden name. That's your maiden name? Because that's, yeah. a, that's a Yiddish word that means carpenter. Oh, it's I a funny old thing. It's a very common Jewish name. And I thought, <laughs> oh, okay, we're going to be talking to Mishpuka here, and we're going to have a conversation about Judaism and coming to SFF, SRP and, and yoga. And She's a good old-fashioned Kansas girl. You're a I Kansas Christian. Good old Kathy, <laughs> Kansas Christian. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm actually adopted which is a whole nother oh, wow. podcast, but well, um, you look damn Scandinavian. I'll tell you that. So wherever... yeah, I am. I'm, I'm uh, Greek and Swedish. And I actually know I'm friends with my mom, my biologic mom and dad. We are all, mm-hmm. we are all very good friends much later in life. But my parents who adopted me are um, Kastner and Humbarger. We're very German. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. That makes and, sense. It's also yeah. a German name. Yeah. 
Yeah. And my sister, they had my sister before me, believe it or not. And, um, and yeah. then they adopted me because I couldn't get pregnant again. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just so, so nice. funny because there Some are people. a lot of yeah. uh, Jewish carpenters. Oh my goodness. No, but there are. <laughs> like Jesus? Well, Jesus, for <laughs> example, is a good one. Jesus was a cross maker. He know? was a, well, he never carried the cross <laughs> to church, I'm sure. Um, did, so growing up in Kansas, what did you grow up outside of Kansas City? I actually grew up in a town called Salina that's about three hours from Kansas City. And it's, mm-hmm. it's 50,000, so it's not tiny. I mean, it felt really small at the time, but I, I was born and raised. My mother is in my the same house from when I was four years old. So I had a lot of stability. My parents were married until my dad passed. And, you know, mm. I had a great childhood. I, I was very blessed. You know, I, I never really fit in. So there was that. I was always, mm-hmm. uh, I was always definitely very different than my family. But, hmm. you know, we all loved each other for our differences and it wasn't perfect, but I feel really grateful. And then I ended up meeting my birth mom when I was 28 and my birth dad at 38. And wow. yeah, my mom was outside of Kansas City. So that was easy. And my birth dad is in the forest in Oregon. And they're, okay. they're, they're great people. They came to our wedding. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah. They, they didn't date or anything. <laughs> that's the, yeah. PG, that's the PG 13 version. That's a whole nother story, but, um, yeah. they're young. They're all, you know, they're early seventies and I'm 53. So they were only 19 when, when I was born. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I've had my, my parents come to a couple of my weddings, so it's, it's always a little <laughs> unnerving, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it must have been it must have been fascinating for them to see each other again. Yes, they um, they had seen each other at a class reunion bef- right okay. before, but they didn't know yet. And then it's such a long story. But my mom was a little confused on who the father was. But once once right. she figured it out, I, I got a I did a DNA test, and it was him. And he's really great. Mm. He's very much a hermit. No cell phone. No email, no answering machine, but he still calls me and checks up on me, which I think is very That's sweet. Nice. Yes. Was he, he the Greek had. one? He or is the Greek. Swedish one. Yes, he's Greek. Yeah, he was Z- a Greek Zeus. Zeus. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and he never had children. So that that was a big deal when we met. Yeah. You know, he could have completely, you know, said no, thank you. So I got really lucky. Right. And my parents who raised me, unfortunately, my dad did not get to meet my biological dad, but he got to meet my mom. So that was, that was nice. Okay. So nice. Yeah. That's amazing. That's just such an incredible, an incredible life story too, to have these different influences and, and people like all so connected to your heritage. Yes. It's pretty amazing. When we were standing at our wedding, my mom was, my birth mom was on the right of me and my dad was on the left of me. And it was like, this is the first time the three of us have been together since basically I was conceived. And I felt yeah, this wow. like wave of energy go through, through yeah. all three of us. I, I really did. Wow. I was like, wow, that was pretty powerful. So I just take it that I was supposed to come to that, to the planet at that time in history and they yeah. they were the ones that got me here. So I'm I'm very grateful, very grateful she had me, and I'm very grateful she gave me up for adoption. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Exactly. Mm. All good things. <laughs> All good things. Yeah. Yes. It's a great story. But yeah, it also, it you is. know, there's, I, I don't want to lie that it's been all, you know, it's all been rainbows. <laughs> no, you do, yeah, no. I probably, yeah. nothing's ever been a, yeah, just a rainbow. Probably, especially growing up, there was a lot of like challenging times emotionally for you too. Yeah. I think all adoptees, I mean, we, we can be, yeah. you know, very screwed up for sure. And angry is the mm-hmm. other, that kind of thing, because you just, there's just this subconscious thing that you've been, you've been taken from your source. And so I've read a lot of books about it. I, I have friends who are adopted. And so everybody's got their own story, but ultimately you have to trust that it was all divinely perfect, even if you don't understand it and, and really just move, yeah. forward, you know, move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to say, you know, growing up as a kind of, um, weird little half Jewish kid in Illinois and in Kansas. Uh, I definitely struggled to kind of come to grips socially. Uh, how were you different from the other kids though? You seem like a nice, like Kansas. Go- oh, goyim thank you. Me. Well, you know what? I actually, <laughs> I, I, I feel lucky. I really, I felt like I fit in with my peers. I always had a lot of friends and I, and I mm-hmm. had, I was always in public school, so I had lots of diverse, you know, different friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really made a point to, to be friends with everybody. I have my clothes. I'm still best friends with my friend from first grade, if you can believe it. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. So, I love that. Um, I actually tried to seek out the kids that maybe didn't feel as comfortable or were shy. Cause I have always been very outgoing and try to include people. So for me, that part was easy. My family was, I was pretty much a vegetarian as a child, but no one, no, no one one knew it until I got really sick on beef as like a first grader. So things like that. Why would you do that? Why would you become a vegetarian (laughs) in Kansas? In the beef capital. My mom made me last bite of roast and it really backfired on her later. (laughs) So, you know, I just think my mom says now soulfully I was born a vegan, but you know, no one in my family is (laughs) is remotely a vegetarian and will will never be. So things like that. I I was, um, I loved being with animals. I loved being in nature, you know, even though I was Mm. outwardly, you know, you know, would hang out with my friends, but I always would go climb trees. I'd love to be by myself. I wasn't very family oriented. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I would always go upstairs and be in my room by myself. And um, mm-hmm. I just didn't really feel like I fit into my own family. But ironically, I felt fit in better with my peer group. I don't know why. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It can be challenging sometimes. I think too, we put a, some pressure on the people that were around all the time. We want them to, we want to be like them. And, and with our friends, sometimes that pressure isn't there so much. Yes. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> We're like, why, why are we not like each other? <laughs> <laughs> but with friends, you're kind of like, oh, it makes sense why we're not like each other. And we, we can still kind of, you know, well, have you that know, relationship. Yes, exactly. And, you know, to be honest with you, I just wasn't like, I didn't, wasn't really that deep as a child. I was just doing my child routine. I just kind of did. Well, you were, <laughs> yeah. But, but you were sort of, veg, you were vegetarian then sort of yes. intuitively. I was, not try, necessarily, I was did, trying, but it wasn't, I unfortunately kept eating, I ate chicken until my twenties. But right. yeah. But it, you know, that sounds like you were making a conscious decision to not, uh, 
be violent. That sounds like a quite a, a profoundly deep thing for a child to do. Oh, thank you. You know, I wish I wish someone would have really spelled it out to me. You think I would have figured that out? That that was a cow. <laughs> That the, ham, <laughs> that the ham was a pig. I mean, I would have had a, I would have flipped out, you know, if someone would have taken yeah. me to a farm sanctuary. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's really mind blowing that I didn't quite figure that out. You know, you, there's these Gandhi like children now who immediately make that connection, you know? So mm-hmm. I wish I had, but, um, you know, my dad had, my dad t- died of type two diabetes in his sleep. He ate a ton mm-hmm. of animals, unfortunately. And well, he's Greek, isn't he? Well, I'm no, sorry. Her, that's that's the dad who raised adopted me. Father. Adopted yeah. father. Okay. Yeah, my adopted father well, was always. German, wasn't he? Yeah, and he always struggled. <laughs> he he struggled with his weight and food and alcohol, and he was still the yeah. nicest member of my family. But so we would like jog together when we when he was young. But then through the years, the the food addiction really took over, and he wasn't able to exercise mm. that much anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so hard too. I think when um, people are really struggling with their weight, and especially as you get older, it just gets harder and harder to um, lose weight and get in shape. And like, and then you're already struggling, and then you can't really exercise the way you want to exercise because you have this massive obstacle that feels yeah. like yeah. it's not moving. I see it also with my father. It's, it's really frustrating for him. Yes. It's very sad. It's like a cycle. I think, you know, their food habits are so ingrained. My dad would be gosh, 86. He died at 67. So it's oh, just so hard for him. I would write him letters from college, but it just, it was just, he just, he didn't really want to change. And he was by, he was like the nicest member of my family. He, he really yeah. loved, loved me and was always so kind, always kind yeah. to me, very supportive yeah. and loving. And I, I'm sorry that he didn't get to stay longer, but he, he had a couple wake up calls with his carotid arteries filling up, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. he just, um, his first heart attack, he just didn't wake up on Easter morning. It's pretty tragic. My mom mm-hmm. found him and yeah, it was just it was just devastating for everybody. So I think that's why yeah. I'm so passionate about helping people who you know who want help. Not everybody wants help with with food yeah. and weight because it really can help extend your life. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to ask you about a, a book that you that you wrote. I'm not sure if this is your first book, or your third, but it um I have here Yoga's Path to Weight Loss. A mind, body, spirit guide to loving yourself, lean. And so, I'd like to ask you about how you you came up to to write that book. But I also want to just say that you know, I think our listeners know that Harmony and I are both um, a little skittish around the subject. We both have our body dysmorphia issues, and you know, there's anorexia um, around us. And I think we both of us sort of land somewhere between like healthcare advocates on one hand and trying to support and acknowledge the body positive movement. I just want to know if you could tell us about that book and maybe where, where would you land on, on those issues? Sure. Well, when I was working as an exercise physiologist, I worked at the Pritikin Longevity Center in Santa Monica. It was the Pritikin diet at the time. And so I had people who weighed 500 pounds. So I've, I've seen, oh, I've wow. worked with all, all ages, all sizes. And what we would see there is we would train them. It was, it was like, it was vegetarian 
and a lot of exercise, but not really any emotional, spiritual tools. So some of them would lose and then they'd be right back. And this went on and on. And I was like, I had come from working for Dr. Chopra and I was like, gosh, we're just not offering them anything more. I mean, some people can get the science of eating less and exercising more, but most people Mm -hmm. need, you know, more tools than that. So I just felt like we were almost setting them up for failure. They would go home and come back and go home and come back. So finally, once I started teaching yoga, it's a long story. When I moved to Kansas City, I was personal training by day, teaching yoga at night, and my yoga students were just dropping weight before my eyes without even trying. They weren't there to lose weight, you know? Right. My personal training clients were there to lose weight and weren't really losing weight. What I found and what the way I used to be was people would exercise for hours a day but didn't want to change their food. You know, they yes. didn't want to look at what they were eating. For me, it was how much I was eating. And so here comes yoga and I wasn't trying to lose weight. And I, you know, the same thing for me, like I just dropped 10 pounds without even trying. So through the years, watching people come up to the front desk and just, even just looking at their face, you could tell they were Mm -hmm. losing, you know, without like analyzing their body. So I was like, you know, this, this is really the most effective form of weight loss, especially Ashtanga, (laughs) you know, and six days a week. And for me, yeah. like the first thing, uh, you know, I partied a lot. I drank, I smoked cigarettes. I was a wild Kansas girl. And so, <laughs> you know. Uh, for those at home, um, especially those in Florida, <laughs> drinking and smoking cigarettes is considered very wild behavior in Kansas. <laughs> uh, yeah, no no drugs, thank God. I just thought I'd lay that out for the Floridians. <laughs> I, I think uh, I dabbled in a few, but it was like I was in the heavy metal time of, of bad hair bands right. and drinking. And mm. So thank God the first thing that left when I started practicing yoga was partying. You know, I did not. Mm-hmm. It didn't even try to stop. It just it just quit me, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. um, Rolf Gates writes in his book, Meditation yeah. from the Mat. He was a, he had issues with alcohol. He's in his book. And he said that once you start a regular yoga practice, your bad habits lose you. And Mm -hmm. that is exactly what happened to me. I couldn't believe it. And I was vegetarian. Then I became vegan and this didn't happen overnight, but each year, like something was dropping. And then the Mm -hmm. real kicker was caffeine. I had been on coffee for 20 years, you know, yeah like a lot of coffee and so and and it was such a miracle and then I just I quit all caffeine 14 years ago which I never thought I would be able to say and that for me was I think it was from yoga it was it was from meditation it was from God I knew God wanted me to quit and I just kept doing it anyway but finally I had a big clarity gong and I I quit caffeine. So, um, but back to the weight loss. So when I saw these people losing weight and, you know, this went on for 10 years before I wrote the book and I just thought, you know, diet and exercise just doesn't work for everybody. People need more tools. So I wrote the book and it's basically asana, meditation, walking in nature, Mm -hmm. praying and affirmations so that people Mm -hmm. had some emotional and spiritual tools to go along with the diet and exercise. And it was vegan because I really believe that a low-fat um, vegan diet, plant-based diet, is is wonderful for weight loss. 
Mm-hmm. It really yeah. helps people hmm. because it has so much fiber. It has zero cholesterol. Um, obviously, the ahimsa aspect, you know, you're not ingesting yes. anything that's been tortured or fear. And um, I ended up getting certified in plant-based nutrition with the physician's committee for responsible medicine. So I, I follow nice. those yeah. plant-based doctors like Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Caldwell yeah. assisting. So, and yeah, their work. Has I love re- those guys. Do you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're amazing. And they have a huge following the, the whole food plant-based uh, diet people who yeah. do no, no oil or, and very low fat. Dr. C, is it C Campbell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. T. Colin Campbell. Yeah. T. Colin Campbell, yeah. He wrote the China study. Yeah, that's that's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. Yeah. I have to say, just to piggyback on that, there's um, that book, um, First There is a Well. Maybe it's not First There is a Well, but it's it's about the ACEs study that uh, Kaiser did. And it was... uh, uh, something, you know, like uh, 50,000 people who were looking at adverse childhood experiences and weight loss. And so much of the time, what they were discovering is that the people who um, were really struggling with weight were also really str- struggling with trauma issue and issues, and maybe especially around childhood abuse and, and sexual abuse, that there was... Um, there was issues around, you know, not wanting to uh, lose weight because of the of the uh, of how it protected a person and how it felt like it was protective. Have you ever? Did you ever see those kinds of? Did you yes. ever see that that study? Absolutely, it's almost textbook that somebody who might be very heavy has had some kind mm-hmm. of trauma or abuse and is using it as protection, so that. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to be touched right. and they don't want someone to be attracted to them. You know, I think it's, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it would be very subconscious, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And like, there's, but there's, there's also, you know, ethnicity issues as well, because, you know, maybe, um, for, for a white community, maybe, uh, weight is, less attractive than say an African-American community where it can be uh, very joyous uh, to be a little heavier and be very attractive and, and celebrated. And so, you know, these things kind of come in into play as well. I think it's fabulous that it's celebrated. I love that. (laughs) I really, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. And, And when you talked about body positivity, I mean, I absolutely think people have to love and accept themselves exactly where they're at you know, mm-hmm. and, they, and you just have to, you can't sh- shaming yourself. Isn't going to help you change. You know, you have to really love yourself. And if you're interested, you know, in changing your body or, or improving your health, you know, then that's up to them. That, that's the one thing I worry about when someone's really heavy is I worry about like heart disease in, in a young person yeah. or, or cancer or diabetes or high cholesterol, high blood pressure, because I have seen it in even children. You know, it's like mm-hmm. heart, sure. di- heart disease. We think it's just for grandparents, you know. And right, our food system, it used to be. I, I know it used to be. Like, <laughs> you know, sadly, uh, my third grade boyfriend. Yeah. I know that sounds hilarious, but he died at fifty of his first heart attack already. So I just think, wow, you know, oh, gracious. Uh, yeah. food systems change so much, and 
people are more sedentary. So I absolutely want people to love themselves where they're at and, and, you know, you know, also consider the health aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's so um, important, like that part of it, that, that there's, I think those underlying unconscious blocks where you do feel shame or you do like feel hatred for parts of yourself actually, um, act against you in like moving towards whatever you're wanting to move towards, right? If, if you're actively trying to, to change your body or your health, it's like, you almost have to befriend yourself and like develop that self-compassion and really like love yourself, like you're saying, and, and be joyful about, you know, the things you can do and, because you you can only really build on the positive if it's if it's so negative then it just stays like it it stays in that really stagnant negative state and that's not going to help you know move you anywhere really oh it's very true i remember louise hay saying yeah it's something i'm going to i'm going to paraphrase if if hating yourself hasn't worked try loving yourself instead something like that yeah that's beautiful and that's you like know, what with the- everything Mm-hmm. One of the the best things that ever happened to me was was I I got to make out with Louise Hay at a party in Encinitas <laughs> in Carlsbad. Did you? And, you know really? she was a, she was a little bit older than me, but I I can like write, a lot older. She, I can right now very clearly feel her tongue in my ear, and I just want to say a big shout out to Louise. We miss you, R.I.P. <laughs> that was a good night. That was a good time. Um, she did not remember it as well as I did the next day, but, um, yeah. You were so funny. Were you, I was at her 90th birthday. Were you there? <laughs> wow. I'm yeah. you know, I've been wondering if we've been at a couple of parties together because Louise Hayes 90th, I think I was at Louise Hayes 90th. Um, I was at a, at a party at Deepak Chopra's house and General Wesley Clark was there and it was like a mindfulness uh, fundraiser. And I was wondering if you were at that party, you know, like 10 I, years ago, I was, I was not living here. I, when I worked with Dr. Oh, Chopra, yeah. I was 25, almost 30, actually 30 years ago when I met with him and I, I uh, have been to other things at his house, but it wasn't that same party. <laughs> It was so funny. I, I was in line behind the guacamole at, and, and uh, I kind of felt like I'd butted into to General Clark and I, and I just said, yes, sir, you go, you go right ahead, sir. Just go right in. And he kind of looked at me like, are you taking the piss right now? You making fun of me because I'm a general? What the fuck are you doing? And I was like, oh, this is, oh, I'm never going to be friends with this guy. And then it was like the rest of the night, I would just like, I was watching Deepak just kind of avoid people. And he would like, kind of like hide a little bit behind the curtains, hide behind a pillar, hide behind the guacamole stand. I was like, wow, this guy He's kind of shy, isn't he? Yeah. I, I, when you said that, I was kind of surprised he opened up his home to a fundraiser. That was, <laughs> I was like, I was, um, I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Chopper's yeah, was... fun. He's, uh, you know, when I see him, you know, he's cute. He's like, because when I met him, neither one of us were doing asana. And oh, really? Yeah. We were like cardio and weight people. And then. 
through his staff, they taught me my first sun salutation. Oh, wow. It's a long story. I worked at a hospital and I was at center for sports medicine and he had the center for mind body medicine upstairs. And when I became his trainer, we ended up putting a gym in his house and I trained he and his wife. But then staff taught me sun salutations that led me to my first class. Um, Mm -hmm. I started with Vinny yoga in, in Solana beach and God, I was so pathetic. I was like just trembling and triangle. I was just profusely sweating because I was so (laughs) tight from being a fitness person. It was just, I was going to say, were you kind of like muscly? (laughs) Yeah. I had, you know, I, I, you know, I probably, some people think I looked better, but yeah, I was was a lot bigger than (laughs) I was bigger and I ate a lot back then too. But, um, yeah. And then when my first Shavasana, I was just like, I mean, I had silent tears coming down my face. I had no idea what was happening. And so unfortunately I didn't go a lot. I would go like once a week. And then I moved to Santa Monica to work for Pritikin and I started going to vinyasa classes at Yoga Works with Max Strom. And then I then I realized that yoga could really move and be more cardio, <laughs> cardio, mm, right? So, which yeah. was really fun. And I remember him saying, "I think you would like Ashtanga," but I didn't. I didn't know what that was yet. And I tried going to one of Mati's Mysore classes, but everyone was just flying around me, and I had no idea what was going on. Right? <laughs> you know, they weren't going to give you a private or hand you the sheet. Now I understand, but. When I, I moved to Kansas City, I, I moved there and actually just meet my birth mom, and I decided to stay. And um, they brought in this wonderful woman to our yoga studio named Lori King from Chicago, and I have never heard of her. It's like she was an angel. She dropped into Kansas City, taught us in a Shango workshop, and she just blew my mind. I, I was like, wow. I, it, was, it was 25 years ago this month. I remember just watching her going. I want to do that. You know, she was mm-hmm. floating and doing everything. And she was so, the best part was she was nice. She was yeah. so, yeah, isn't that, isn't that a rarity sometimes? Yeah, totally. <laughs> she, That's good. <laughs> she, yeah. She was so nice and so kind. And, and then she disappeared. She went to Rome. She returned to her Catholic roots and got a PhD in theology. And literally no one's ever heard from her again. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I think That's she, a shame. I, I think she levitated in Rome. I don't know what happened. To yeah, her, but she mm, really incredible. she changed my life. I mean, I started practicing with a few friends with some VHS tapes from David Swenson and friends, you yeah. know, and and then we we added an Ashtanga class to the schedule, and then the teacher moved, and they asked me to take it over, and. That's how I got started. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I just ask. To, yes, please. I'm sorry. I, I just want to kind of s- s- situate ourselves here. So you're three hours out of Kansas City growing up. Um, you, you're, you're quite a bit different from your family. I just want to see how do we get from A to B to you being an Ashtanga yoga teacher in Santa Monica and Kansas City, how did you make that transition? I mean, were you a an athletic kid? Were you working out a lot, and and then you ended up going to college? Like what drew to personal training first? Yeah, yeah. I, so I, like, I how a, did it all happen for you? I was just, I was like, 
I don't know if no one said I was ADD, but I was always moving as a kid. My mom put me on the <laughs> swim team when I was six and wow. I, I was on track when I was eight. I was doing pentathlons by 10 and I, wow. then, I then I was a tall, skinny kid, but I was fast for some reason because I'm not even remotely fast now, but I was really fast. <laughs> and then you're going to laugh. It just all came kind of, I had so much anxiety about competing that I just, mm-hmm. I just took myself out. And my mom took me to the doctor. I was supposed to go to a national pentathlon and I was, I think I was about ready to have a nervous breakdown in my I was only 10 and my best friend had invited me to Hawaii and the doctor said, send her to Hawaii instead of the track wow. meet. So I did. And I was really glad because I, I was not in my soul to like win and beat people, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be that I was athletic and, you know, people thought that that's what I should do. And then I actually be, started dancing more. I did ballet, tap and jazz all through high oh, school. Nice. I wasn't, you know, like an exceptional dancer, but I enjoyed it. And then I started jogging for fun. I would do, you know, but of course it was always obsessive. You know, I'd run six miles every day instead of one mile. (laughs) You know, if I could have just done one mile, I might have. And then I started lifting weights and going to aerobics and all the things you did in the 80s. But it was, it was always too much. You know, I would run to the YMCA, high, high kick in an aerobics (laughs) class, then go lift weights and then run home. And I was just like. I don't know what I was doing, <laughs> I was mm. doing, but, you know, looking back, some, you know, I've heard people say, you know, what were you running from? And I don't, I really didn't sit around feeling like I wasn't good enough or wasn't worthy, but something subconscious was, was driving that obsession yeah. with exercise. And, you know, and then I started controlling my food. I wouldn't eat enough. And then mm-hmm. I, then later I would be the opposite. I would eat way too much. You know, I was just, I would never had anorexia or bulimia, but it was definitely not a good balance at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it sounds like there's some stuff there, as you said, of, of not feeling worthy and being adopted and then doing all of this stuff to compensate. To compensate. Yeah. That looking back, that's all I can really come up with. And then I actually just really enjoyed moving too. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, my mom said she tried to put me in for a nap and I would just kick the wall, you know, so I had, a, <laughs> I, had I would sit on my head, I would do a headstand and watch all on the couch and watch all-star wrestling, you know? Right. Ah. <laughs> well, I was just always, yeah. you know, I was in gymnastics. I just did every sport, tennis, diving, swimming. I did everything. I never did anything like super great besides those that pentathlon era, but everything else was just kind of just staying and moving and being with group fitness. But I loved exercise so much that that is why I decided to major in it. I, first of all, I got an undergrad in journalism because I took a biology class at my big university and I got a C with a tutor and I thought there's no way I I can major in science. (laughs) (laughs) So I went ahead and and chose journalism and I did a couple internships my junior year and I knew that I had made a mistake, that I wanted to do health. And so I just stuck it out and then started grad school back for exercise phys. And it it just took two years. and, And in the long run, I was glad I did it. I have another text here that you wrote. And I keep waiting for you to say this and to jump in because I, I wondered what, you know, where you had landed um, in exercise. It's 
you wrote a book called The Cheerleader Speaks. <laughs> what God taught me about men and myself. And I thought, well, first thing I thought of is you don't see a lot of Jewish cheerleaders. And then the second, the second thing I thought, well, did, did, you haven't talked about being a cheerleader yet. And it sounds like it was something that was important to you. Well, the title is actually kind of a spoof on myself, on the way I, I looked. <laughs> okay. I, I was only a cheerleader for, in seventh grade for one year, and okay. I, I lacked I lacked the cheerleading spirit. That's for sure. I was very. Oh, you did. I was very bored. It was very linear. I just thought, what the hell am I doing on this basketball court? <laughs> you know, I just it was just kind of like, well, I fit the stereotype my sister was a cheerleader but boy after one year that was it for me so that's kind of a joke that like men, uh, ex- okay. men expected me to be like that you know and the maybe, cheerleader yeah like, <laughs> my friends say that I'm a cheerleader like for them and their lives so I like that kind of cheerleading but um yeah. like yeah and that was before the age of cheerleading when it was intense gymnastics like it is now you know with the pyramids right. and the flipping and this was just standing there on the basketball court. So I, I actually never did it again, but, um, yeah, my, that book in the pom poms and high kick era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I was, you know, in high school we had dance team. So that was a little better. At least I was, you know, dancing and moving. So, but I, I was, yeah. your, you know, I looked like your stereotypical cheerleader, but I always dated the bad boys. Always dated. Oh, like, I mean, like been kicked a out special of- allure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and unfortunately, I did it for about twenty years, and started in seventh grade. And my first boyfriend had flunked twice, if that tells you anything. And mm-hmm. and the counselors were not happy that I was dating somebody. And I really they didn't talk to you about who you were dating, did they? Yes, they called me into the office. Oh, like, we were my worried. goodness! And that what did that do? Oh. That made me just love my boyfriend more <laughs> right <laughs> that's nuts yeah i didn't know the counselors did that hey, I, I was i was so mad i was yeah. like i thought it was appalling. none of their business it was absolutely none yeah. of their business and anyways but unless I, your parents had told them to do it no my parents were so, <laughs> i know my parents were not happy but they just my parents were just so mute they just never talked about anything they, they just let me like flounder and figure it out but yeah i i dated but it was it wasn't that they were bad men i just kept picking addicts and musicians and artists and they were always sexy <laughs> And terrible yeah. for me. Artists. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. yeah. Those are the worst of them. Yeah. Yeah. They, no. they like a lot of time alone. I'll give them that. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. artists. My, yeah, I dated an artist for a long time. And he was a great guy. I loved him a little too much was the problem. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But, you know. I just, think that's probably also Harmony's problem. Yeah. <laughs> I heard your little artist there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, I might need your book. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, what did God teach you about dating artists? Well, with artists, my artist unfortunately um, didn't tell the truth. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and lo- art is a lots- lie that tells the truth, though. That's what. <laughs> That's what <laughs> he, art is. He would love that. Yeah, you know, just yeah. um, not not monogamous. You know, it's pretty yeah. heartbreaking. But 
you know, I just finally had to, my husband now is just so different than anyone I ever dated. And that's, that's why I married him. <laughs> mm -hmm. He was really kind and my artist was really kind too, but I just, you know, not being faithful and lying. I couldn't feel, I put up with it for many years, but finally I, <laughs> I did change, but I felt like, I felt like the universe kept giving me the same lesson, like over and over and over until mm -hmm. I stepped off the wheel and made a different choice. And so mm -hmm. I, I finally did when I met my husband. Well, before I met my husband, my friend said, did you ever think about praying for the man God chose for you? And I had never done that. I had never even, hmm. I had done that with work and where I was living, but I had never said, who do you want me to marry or date? And so when I did that, it's like the whole world shifted. And then he showed up and, Jorgen's Meister class, like within 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> That's I, interesting. I had a, I had a friend once tell me that she, um, she had decided to start dating women and she said she was complained and she said, you know, I'm attracting the same dirt bags that I was, that I was attracting when I was dating men. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, well, maybe that's because you're, you're sitting there, you know, attracting people. Maybe you should go look for the person that you want to date mm. rather than wait for them to come to you. And it, mm. it sounds like that's what you did there. You made a prayer and you went and found, you discovered the man that, that you wanted. I, I really feel like it worked. I would, I would read all these things about spirituality and dating and making your list and manifesting yeah. quote unquote. And finally I read this book. It was a chakra book and it said, write down everything you want. And I thought, Oh no, here we go again. And then, I, and then at the end she <laughs> said, now go burn it over the sink because what you want, might, uh. what, what you want might not be good for you. And that, that really resonated with me and it was, right. it was true. And so, and my husband was very different. Then he had been a police officer for 10 years, way, Ooh. way before I met him. I mean, he has long hair now. You'd never know, but he was a cop. <laughs> He'd been a cop. He um, was miraculously vegan because he'd had cancer and had to change his whole diet and, and lifestyle. Yeah. He, yeah. he was, was super kind. Our first day he invited me over, he cooked me a vegan meal and gave me Reiki. And I thought, where do I sign? <laughs> I did. I, I I stayed way too late and drove home at like three in the morning, going, "Oh my god, I'll marry you tomorrow." <laughs> and I did. That's I married, and we married six months later. Married him, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Wade, is, Wade wow. is super kind. He he is a giver, you know. And but a lot of that, I had an astrologer, and I'm not really into astrology to be honest with you. But when I was younger. I had an astrologer say to me, he said two things. Let's see if I can remember them. Did you ever think you're attracting project men because you don't have to look at yourself? And I was like, oh, wow, wow that was a loser. Yeah. And I thought, you Work yes. on someone else rather than yourself. Yeah, yeah, here, I'm, yeah exactly. And then, oh, did you, did you ever think you're afraid of an equal? And I thought that was, mm. not that I was better, but just like someone like, you're taking care of you. I'm taking care of me and let's come together. Yeah. You don't need to fix me. I don't need to fix you. And um, mm -hmm. so I feel like, you know, there's a saying that you are the common denominator 
in all your relationships. So it's easy for me to yeah. sit back and like go, oh, well, I'm going to blame him. But obviously I was attracting, um, I thought this was what I, the love I deserved, you know, whether you were, you know, mm. whatever you were doing to me. So something in me felt, but I, you know, I, the more I read about spirituality and relationships, if I could just, it's back to the self-love, you know, if I could, mm-hmm. you know, love myself enough to know that I, I deserve somebody who was going to be honest and faithful, that hopefully that would connect up instead of me always attracting the other. So I felt like God was trying to just say, you know, you, you can have, it can be different, but you've got to realize your self-worth first, you know? Mm, yeah, I think that's like such an important thing. I mean, it's it's sort of a beautiful kind of central theme in in both of the books that you've written and that we've talked about here. But if you don't believe that you deserve, you know, whatever to you know lose ten pounds or to you know not have heart problems or high cholesterol or right, if you don't have that sense of self love and and really like cherish yourself it's really hard to make those changes and same in relationships if you don't feel like you deserve respect or you know you're just um not loving yourself people kind of treat you or mistreat you and the and you allow it right or you you gain some weight and you feel like you don't deserve love for having it. That's true. Yeah. That's, That's the yeah, inverse. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's, then it's like a vicious cycle that like feeds itself. It's true. I did so much self-help. I would just read self-help nonstop. Not a lot of therapy. But I read so much self-help. I have all these great quotes just memorized because so many people along my path helped me. So Deepak has a book. I think it's a path path to love but he said you'll find love when you know that you are love it's very simple and then good old dr phil used to say you teach people yeah you teach people how to treat you so if you yeah if you say yes i accept that then you know but it's it's amazing when you do draw your line in the sand that things can shift you know they're either going to stay or they're going to go so yeah I, I don't know where I was when I was watching a Dr. Phil episode and it was just the funniest damn thing. Uh, I think we were together, Harmony. And there was a woman who was a single mom and she had a kid that was bossing her about. He was we 10 years old. We were eating old, Vietnamese. And we were eating Vietnamese. That's right. It was the only <laughs> thing on TV. And uh, No, we were in the restaurant and it was on TV. Eating Vietnamese. Yeah watching it yeah, on because the TV. It was on TV in the restaurant. It was we, on we TV in no the restaurant. Choice. That's the same thing. That's exactly <laughs> the same thing. Don't be ashamed of it. We ashamed. were watching the show. And um this kid, this 10-year-old is it has a little man cave where he plays Call of Duty all day long and he bosses his mom about and tells her to get more food or pick this up. He doesn't do anything. And Dr. Phil and she's like presenting the situation I'm Dr. Phil, and he says, well... My kid's unmanageable and abusive. I, uh, I know what's wrong with him. I want to know what's wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I love, like, oh, I love awesome. him. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. Was it great. was really good, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, that's right. That's good. Uh, he really sucks it to you. He'll be like, 
how's that working for you? Mm. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, exactly. You're like, it's not. But I, <laughs> yeah, I think that, not. like for yoga, for me, I feel like one of yoga's gifts, greatest gifts, if not the greatest gift, is it helps people love themselves the way God sees them. Mm. You know, you're just shavasana mm. is just like you're just bathed in that divine love. That's why I think I had an emotional my very first shavasana. I was tearing up because you just you just feel so unconditionally loved and accepted. And I think the more mm-hmm. time people spend in that energy, whether it's shavasana, meditation, asana, that it really does shift the way you think about yourself, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then it, Yeah, it's like sp- spending that quiet quality time with like your highest, deepest self, whatever that is for you, yes. whether it's God or you know, your inner consciousness or energy, but like you have to kind of nourish that relationship and and take the time with that space if you want that connection. Yes. And I feel like it just, it just spreads out to every area of your life. I had a lady, she was a serious Mm -hmm. smoker. And she told me once she had about a 30 minute drive to class. And she said, Kathleen, I got out of Shavasana. I always light a cigarette and drive home. And she goes, I just didn't even think about it. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Know, when people would yeah. tell me in the teacher trainings, I, I'm cleaning things I've never cleaned before. You know? <laughs> it, just, like, it just like parlays into everything, you know? Their diet really? for yeah. sure, you know, that not wanting meat anymore was you know, that that happens for sure. I think mm-hmm. I think eating less because we feel fulfilled from the inside out that we don't feel like we need to, you know, just overeat or stuff ourselves as much you know yeah you just find that balance that that balance I think everybody's seeking is really what yoga has helped me with the most you know yeah and that's sort of like the strange magic of yoga like it it starts to work in these kind of mysterious ways like you're explaining you know we feel more fulfilled so we're less interested in filling or we feel clean inside so we're less interested in ingesting things that create pollution inside ourselves yeah. right whether it's our mind or our body or um, our emotions and and it just kind of that quality of sattva as it comes up you know attracts us to more sattvic things or more pure things more organic things, more wholesome things rather than being in the other two gunas, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I I would sometimes like do a little poll around the class. How has yoga changed your life? And I remember one, mm. uh, he was an older man said, he said, my friends have changed. And I was like, mm. I know I, I love know. that. I go, that makes perfect sense. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you're right. Like if you have to get up in the morning and go to Ashtanga, you know, you don't want to have have that extra cocktail or extra ice cream or whatever, exactly. you know, like I got to get up and practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference. I, I remember when, when my, um, my mom quit smoking, she did something really interesting that I really, that I really always ad- admired. Uh, she said, well, you know, quitting smoking is a lot of work. But being a non-smoker means you don't have to do anything. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 a great way to shift it, isn't it? Yeah, just shifting it. And sometimes that can help you get up early. It's like, well, I'm not a, 
morning risers, like, well, that's, you know, that, that there's some kind of language that's inhibiting you about self-identification. Yes. That's a you great know, point. Like, that's a really good, I, I'm a non-smoker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's true. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm, I'm just an early riser. It just happens by itself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an early riser, and then I like to go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wake up three, four in the morning. I stare at the wall, stare at the ceiling. <laughs> I'm an early riser. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I do hope that you know yoga comes back. That yoga studios, you know, rebound from the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. That there are more in person. You know, I think it's so good for people yeah. to have that to, you know, have somewhere have to go. A place to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's really nice. I would just want a place to go. I'm not an early riser. <laughs> I just like having. Yeah. A, I like having a place to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think it like sets the tone for the rest of the day, and and just the friendships. Even you know, even if you don't, even if it's just saying hi, I think it really helps people. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure, that community, that sangha, that support system. Yeah, I miss it. Mm. Yeah, you had your own school for 16 years. Yeah, and it's still there, thanks to my dear friend, Samantha Collinson. It's called Maya Yoga. It's just mayayoga.com in downtown Kansas City. And it's mainly Ashtanga based with just a couple of vinyasa classes. And they have great teachers, and they have survived COVID. There were three other studios in that area that closed. So I'm, oh, really, I'm, and I'm really grateful that. Um, yeah. it's, it made it, it, and if it ever needs to change, I understand completely, but I, I started with a different yoga studio that I had for three years with a partner and mm-hmm. in 1999, and it was like the second or third yoga studio in Kansas city and it burned down. Oh, oh wow. It like burned up. <laughs> and someone said yeah. I mean it was like they investigated no one could even figure it out and then somebody said I heard Shiva came down on the yoga gallery and I go oh now that I can wrap my brain around you know <laughs> and like it was like you know it was like you just said it just shifted it turned it into a positive everybody was grieving and I was like you know what and I went out on my own yeah. and so she, she she kept that one and moved it to a different part of town and I stayed where we were, moved a block away and it all worked out. And I, wow. I got to do it by myself and it was, it was great. It was, you know, as you know, it's a ton of work, mornings, noons, nights, weekends. I mean, it was just, it was, it was all consuming. And I, yeah. I, I can't remember how long I'd had it, probably eight years, seven years. I long story. I moved to Santa Monica and owned it long distance with the hopes of meeting my husband. Cause I knew he didn't live in Kansas city and it, and it actually miraculously worked. And I, <laughs> I met Wade. It took a couple years and I almost gave up, but I went, that's a phenomenal thing to say. <laughs> you you decided to operate a yoga studio remotely yes, because you knew your husband whomever that was, yes. was whoever. in Santa Monica, not at Kansas City. Yes. I just I, wanted to underline oh, that. That's great faith. Yeah, I, it's I like, did. well, and sure enough, Wade was in Santa Monica yeah. for me to find and discover. He was. He, That's he, a hell of a thing to say. It was, uh, you know, it was really just from intuition, just from God and meditation and yoga. It wasn't like I heard a voice, you're going to meet Wade in Santa Monica. <laughs> it wasn't nearly that that clear, but I knew in my heart, I had tried dating there for 10 years and I just was like, I know my person's not here. I had already lived in Santa Monica 10 years prior and I 
Mm-hmm. I went back, I ran my studio long distance. I came home about every three months. I did everything myself from the computer. They faxed me every night. It's just such a long story. Wow. But, um, That's amazing. I, I, but it took me a year and nine months to meet Wade because I almost quit. I actually went back and put a deposit down on an apartment because I, I was like, gosh, this is so expensive. I don't know how I can keep juggling this, you know, and I was, and so, mm-hmm. and then there he showed up. So we, we taught in Santa Monica together for one year. And then at the end of that year, we would go back to Kansas City and teach. And we would have, of course, way more people back there. And I told him, I'm like, oh, wow. you know, we can pretend that we can afford to keep living here. Or we can just go back and own our own business. And, you know, he was reluctant. And so <laughs> I wasn't super excited, but I knew that we needed to do something. And so we did. And he really helped me and and we rebuilt it back up together and they just loved him because we'd never had Mm -hmm. like a lead male teacher and he he was newer at it so he had a lot of energy and a lot of charisma and um, so we were a good team and if it wasn't for him I probably couldn't have done it that much longer but we did it for another seven years together. And then the two of you decided to move to to Encinitas to be closer to the SRP to the Society for Self-Realization Fellowship and and also be closer to Tim Miller. How did you, you come to make that decision? Well, I, I feel a little guilt. I have a little guilt about this subject, but I just soulfully <laughs> was was starting to really wind down. I was so tired. You know, I I was only 46, but I started I started teaching at 27. You know, I've been doing it almost 20 years there, and I was just I was running out of energy and I just wanted to, I wanted to get out before it got worse because I was already getting irritable and I was not my highest self. I was impatient. It was just like the writing was on the wall. I needed to do something and wait. I was like, I need to, you know, I need to, I need to sell it while I can. And he was upset with me, but you know, this is a, imagine that. Cause he was like, you know, we have, we bought a house. We, we work for ourselves, but I was like, I just, I know when it's time to go and I have to go. So I got to go with yoga gives back with Kyoko to India. Mm-hmm. And I had just, um, I guess hired a broker and we were at the Rama Krishna mission in Calcutta and which, yeah. sound, which sounds very exotic, but it was right across the street from Domino's Pizza <laughs> and, <laughs> and very loud. <laughs> I thought we yeah. were going to be in these sprawling hills, but she said, I had a really, you know, mystical or magical experience here. And so I was already praying to, to God and Jesus and Yogananda and the SRF guru. So I included Ramakrishna, Sharada Devi, and Vivekananda in my prayers that night. And the next morning, I kid you not, at 5.30 in the morning, I look at my phone and my broker had the, had the buyer for my studio. I was like, wow. wow. I was like, I knew. I was like, thank you, God. I was, I mean, we hadn't met yet, but I had such a good feeling. And then from there, uh, either we had just, I think we had already been to Mysore. And Saraswati was so nice. She let us do a drop-in. And I said, well, can I at least go in the main shala? you know, Guruji Shala and yeah. I, I, oh, it makes me cry, but I got down on my knees. I was so, I had so much guilt about leaving this community I had built. And I just sat there and prayed and I, I, I heard him say four things. And I really felt like this is what I heard. I heard him say, it's time to go, meaning to, to leave Kansas city, go practice with Tim, spend time with your husband and enjoy your life. And I was like, mm. oh. I know it was like this huge, 
way, this weight just like lifted. And then, then I think we went to Calcutta and I had that, uh, I got, I said that prayer. And so everything just started falling into place. So when I got home from India, I met the new buyer. It was a great fit. Um, my students weren't so happy with me though. And they, some of them still aren't. It's been seven years. Some of them won't even, some people won't even like talk to me. I know it's, but I had to, I had to just take care of, it was like a, yeah. My soul was you dying. You got to take care of yourself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were wonderful. The thing is that about about students is that they will leave you at the uh, at the drop of a hat. They will go <laughs> get a new job in a different city and say goodbye. But and if never you, look back. And never look back. <laughs> but if you do it, it's like, hey, they, oh, we have a community wow. here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> lots of abandonment issues. Not everybody, but there were a couple. And it was, yeah. it yeah. actually didn't end very well. And it was just so tragic because, like, I didn't even, I didn't have children because I was so busy with everything that I, like, yeah. sometimes right. I think, like, gosh, should I have adopted a child instead? Because, like, and when it came down to it, like, they didn't really even, you know, but. Yeah. You know, I would go back and some people would come, some people were like, you know, she left us. So it was really kind of sad. Right, yeah. They were so good to me when I was there, but it was like what you said. But if you change your mind, we don't mm-hmm. like you anymore. So yeah, I, I knew like it, I wasn't growing at all. I mean, I wasn't growing mm-hmm. in my life. I wasn't growing. I wasn't growing. I was going backwards. So I remember I showed up, I told I emailed Tim because I'd known him for well, 15 years at that point, and he'd, he'd come to Kansas City for workshops and would stay with us. Oh, cool. So I show up in Encinitas seven years ago in class, and, and I looked at him, and I go, I, I did it. I live here now. And, he, you know, Tim, he doesn't say much, but he looked at me, and he goes, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's, let's yeah. turn that around. How has it been for you now emotionally for Tim to not – be well and to, to be absent. I mean, that, that's a kind of a abandonment now that you've ha- you've got to shoulder. Yeah. And you know what? I actually feel, I feel no abandonment whatsoever. I, I just couldn't believe how much he could teach when he was teaching. He would teach mm-hmm. 12 times a week, a weekend workshop out of town a month, two teacher trainings yeah. in the summer. I, I looked at him and I was like, I'm, I was worried back then, you know, way, yeah. okay. way before. So, um, I mean, I, I feel like we stole all his prana. I really do. Like, I just right. feel like he, mm-hmm. he was so committed to the practice and, and would have done it till, you know, like Guruji till 90 if he could have, but yeah, I just exactly. feel like, so, um, when the studio moved, you know, and I kept going to the, to the, but you know, he actually took a little break right before COVID and it was just perfect. It was like, just let the guy rest, you know? I I do not feel abandoned and not even one iota. (laughs) Mm, I I love him to the core. I send him birthday cards and Christmas cards. Like, I hope I get to see him again. And if I don't, I I know he knows I love him very much. So for you, you were able to have uh, empathy and, and really appreciate what he needed. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm just amazed by his dedication. I mean, he made it to almost 70, you know, that's just like incredible. I don't know how, how, yeah. he, how he did it as long as he could. And he was always pleasant and so helpful. And so I got five years with him every day, which was just the best. 
You know? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad if I would have waited, okay. I wouldn't have gotten that. And I, had, I learned so much. I had so much fun, you know, in the community. And of course, I miss it. But absolutely, I think he did what he, you know, at the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You will just, like, put yourself first. Yeah, you have to. Or people just expect so much out of you. It's just impossible. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Tim's yeah. kind of a shy guy. And he's, you know, he loves to read. And, you know, he's got his mm-hmm. own interests. And he's got a family. And I, I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. beautiful. Tim's yeah. such a beautiful spirit and an amazing teacher. Yeah. He's also very fortunate to be able to have a... Uh, relationship with him and practice with him. And yeah, I miss him too. Oh, I'm so glad. I, I assumed you guys knew him really well. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's legendary and always will be. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, I, I feel like he, he just deserves the best. So, um, yeah, we hope, yeah. He's, we hope and he's happy. I hope I bump into him in, in Jimbo's one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you have a better chance of bumping into him than we do, probably. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I I had a different I I had a different idea of, of how long you'd been in Encinitas, so I wasn't sure if we had bumped shoulders or not. It sounds like no, because the time when I was down there a lot doing the work with the kids in the schools, you were in Kansas at that point, so we wouldn't yeah. have seen each other as much. I didn't know. Did you? So you lived here? Well, no. I I was there for. I was there for work really um, as often as I could be. I'd go back and forth from Stanford to, to Encinitas to oversee the program that we had going in the Encinitas schools uh, where Manju Joyce's wife, Nancy, Nancy Joyce introduced us. And, and a, a lot of the teachers that, that we had had come out of Tim Miller's studio. And so um, yes. uh, people at Tim's had introduced me to people. Oh, you should talk to her, you know, you know, Kirsten, she, you know, she's a school teacher and works at, at Tim's, that sort of thing. And so I, I had even wondered if I had spoken to you at one point, but you, that, that was a completely different well, you time, know I guess. I think it was when I was in Kansas city, one of my students, did you ever meet Katie Campbell who taught for the Joyce Oh, sure. Yeah. Program? Yeah. She was, that was your student, Katie Campbell. Yeah. She I said, look, there's this great opportunity in Encinitas. You should, you should apply. And she oh, did. you're she got joking. It. She, I interviewed her. I, <laughs> oh she talked gosh. to me from Kansas and we talked and she was our top recruit. She actually was a school teacher, not just somebody who, you know, taught kids once in a while. And so when she interviewed remotely, uh, through zoom, she had the top marks. Everyone else is wow. really floundering in the teacher interviews with the teachers and the, and the, the principals, um, excuse me, with the principals and the superintendent. But Katie came in, she told them exactly how to teach kids, you know, redirect, get kids back on 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 focus, on on task, and and you just keep going. And it's like everybody's like, oh wow, yeah. She was so smart. That's the best interview today. <laughs> and I was oh, like, I'm yeah, so glad. Yeah. And she That's killed amazing. it. She killed well, it. She's, she's really She's really gifted. We would bring our kids, you know, when Wade's kids were really young, like well, right. I don't know, four and eight, we would we would bring them to the studio in Kansas City. I mean, she she just would like turn into a just she just zoned in. Oh like, yeah. Oh my gosh, she is she's great a master with these kids. Master oh, I'm teacher. So glad. Thank you for hiring her. <laughs> Goodness. I I would say that I hired her, actually. And I you know wow. I, 
Because I would, I went out and I recruited 10, uh, 10 people and then presented them to the superintendents. And then they basically hired all of them except one or two. And Katie oh crushed it. I had no idea. Katie. How did you know to present her with the opportunity? How did that come up for you? Well, when I was always connected to Encinitas, because I had lived here when I was really young. And then, you know, with coming to see Tim often, I just always tried to stay tapped into what was mm-hmm. going on. And I don't remember how I learned about the job opportunity. And she was trying to decide where to move. And yeah. the Encinitas was on the list. And I was like, Katie, this just sounds perfect for you. Right. And I can't remember. But, you know, I know Kieran from yeah. Tim's studio. And then um, Kristen. Yeah. Just Kristen was also her. taught for us. Kristen. Yeah. And so I knew of some of the girls. But I'm so glad that Katie did such a good job. She also had that Norman Allen piece in her back pocket. And that also kind of yes. really helped it. It was like... <laughs> You know, you teach, know. but you also have this like real pure Ashtanga in your in your back pocket. It was like, oh, ideal candidate. Ideal. They like she's one of the few people, maybe the only person I've ever met who was his student on a daily basis. Like I think exactly. he practiced on a dirt a dirt floor in Hawaii. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she yeah, she's she she's she's so great. She's in Boulder now. I'm, I need to reach out to her and see how she's doing. Where did you say, where did you say? She's in Boulder now. Yeah, she's been in Boulder for several, you know, probably, gosh, when we moved here, she was here another year or two, probably five years. I wonder if she went there to go study at the Namarupa Institute or something like that. I wonder if that Well, that would be amazing. I haven't heard that. Um, (laughs) You know, and it's neatest when you're single and young. It can be kind of, I was here when I was in my 20s, you know, it's just. Yeah. Kind of a quiet community and people are doing yeah, their own yeah. thing. And I think it was, you know, and she she's amazing. She loves the ocean and the mountains. <laughs> Good for yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to so live what, in Victoria, British Columbia, and they also it's uh it can be a challenging place for especially single women. <laughs> oh. It has a, a population, I think, three to one of women to men. And oh, they wow. always say it's it's the place for the Newlywed or the nearly dead? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. So if you're like in the middle, it's maybe not the best uh, city to live in. You know, Manhattan also has that reputation. It It has, it's three to one single women to single men, and half of the men are gay. Oh, it's true. You know, it's really, it it is brutal to get a date in Manhattan. Oh gosh, that's so funny. You know, when Oprah had her show, she would do these like Alaska men and bring these guys out from the from the wilderness, and they were just these women were going nuts. You know, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. So, so did you work for Joyce Yoga? Is that how that? I was a director. Yeah, you were director and I was also, and I was founder as well, founder and director. I was not the money; oh. I was more of. You were um, the face of the program. I was face. <laughs> I designed wow. the curriculum. I wrote the first year curriculum, and then we Did you used, really? and then we used Eddie's curriculum after a while because it definitely worked better. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I. Oh gosh, Jean, that's incredible. Gene Ruffin and I founded it together with, um, with the. Um, through donation from 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 a generous donation from from Sony Jones. But we need to find out what what you're up to now. Okay, there's, well, but there's great. a lot going right. on here. I've got 
you have a cooking show. Yeah. You volunteer yeah. for the voice of the Asian Elephant Society. Oh, You've got gosh, a children's yes. book coming out. There's just a lot going on here. <laughs> you we know can't what? like you... sidebar to Harmony's <laughs> career. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to kind of summarize. I mean, that, that is one of the, you know, blessings of not owning a studio. I actually have time to do some other things. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, when, when my husband and I moved here, first of all, we had a vegan wedding in Santa Monica with our Midwest relatives. He's from Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm from Kansas and, and everyone loved the food. So and asked there about was it. no so we, cheese. There was no cheese. There was no buttercream frosting on the cake. Oh it was all, goodness. it was vegan buttercream, but you know, they were kind of just like, wow, the food was so good. So when we moved mm-hmm. here, he, I said, you know what? They just don't know what we eat. If we show them what we eat, I think it could help people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like, oh, I want to be a YouTuber, you know? And so <laughs> we started off in a, our old house kitchen was very dark and we had a bad camera, but we just started doing it. And, you know, I would get some, some feedback. I mean, the bottom line, people just want recipes. Just show them good food. It doesn't even have to have right. the, v, the V word attached, but... We mm-hmm. really, and Wade's in some of the videos, and now we've, we've been in this house a couple of years, and we upgraded our camera and lighting, so it's been better. But it's just been kind of a fun sidebar to show people how to cook. I also do, we have a, a vegan, well, it's actually veg-friendly club, uh, excuse me, club in Oceanside. So I do online with the high schoolers. Oh, cool. We do online cooking. It's so fun because this was during COVID, so They'll be at home with their families and we all make, you know, whatever we make. And it's, we make desserts, we make soups and stews. And so that's mm. been really rewarding teaching the kids. I wish I would have known how to cook a lot younger. And yeah. so um, I did that and that's really fun. I got to work for the Humane Society of the United States for a year, helping to get more plant-based options on school menus and colleges and hospitals um, to help the kids establish healthy eating patterns, you know, younger and, you know, uh, hospitals will have McDonald's in them. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so someone can, someone can get out of heart surgery, you know, and say, please go get me a Big Mac downstairs. Oh my you know? gosh. Yeah. And then you just, your arteries just start filling up again. So it's sort of like he, hospitals having cigarette machines in them, like mm-hmm. back in the yes. 1950s or something. Yes. It's so true. So California is trying to work on some legislation to have more plant-based options and and all of the above. And so working with HSUS was really, was great. We had a team of vegan chefs and we would go in and work with the school's chefs and their whole foods service staff. So I would plan these events and we would, you know, we would go to Arizona, California, and it was a lot of fun because most of them had never tasted vegan food. Wow. or they had a child who was vegan or something. So, and then unfortunately COVID hit and we were not, we couldn't do our trainings anymore. And long story after sitting, I was sitting at a laptop all day, every day and doing zoom calls. I just, my soul was like, again, I looked at my husband and I was like, can I, can I quit? <laughs> so I did. And, and my team, my former team is doing great, but they're still not a person yet, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But, but um, that was an amazing experience. And I had not really had a corporate job per se like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it was great. And, and it was a good experience. But then I just, I always like doing things on my own best. So and, that's, 
Your show is called Vegan Vitality. Vegan Vitality, yeah. And where could people find that show? Is it still going? Yeah, it's just YouTube. It's under my name, Kathleen Kastner. Kathleen Kastner's Vegan Vitality. And and you also are a volunteer for the Voice for Asian Elephant Society. How did that come to be? Yes, yeah, so this amazing filmmaker named Sangeeta Iyer, who has lived in Toronto for 30 years via India, is a National Geographic explorer. She's a filmmaker, a biologist. She made a movie in 2016 called Gods and Shackles. Mm. And it is, I would love you to watch it. I'm going to preface that it's hard to watch, but it's on Amazon Prime. And I would love to get more yogis involved that she is from Kerala Mm -hmm. and filmed the abuse of the temple Oh, the temple elephants. Yeah, yeah mm. they're they are shackled and they are paraded in the they sit in the hot sun all day with fireworks lit off right behind them. I mean, it's it's a really hard movie to watch. So I see this. She comes here and I see the film. My head's in my lap, you know. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my god, we got to do something. So that led me first. I went. There's no. She doesn't have a sanctuary in India. So. She was modeling what she wants to have in Thailand. So I went to the Elephant Nature Park with my husband and Lex Shaler started an amazing sanctuary there in Chiang Mai that's been there for 20 years. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, you have? Yeah. You lived in Thailand for a while, didn't you? Yeah, my parents and I went there. (laughs) Oh, isn't it the best? Yeah, many, many moons ago. (laughs) I think like 2004, maybe 2005, but... Yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. We we actually spent a week, three hours north of the park. There's a mm. program called Journey into Freedom where you just kind of, it's very primitive, but you, the elephants up there, there were only five at the time, are not injured or abused. They're not blind. They, they live naturally with their behoot. Yeah. And so each day our guide would take us out in the forest to, to interact with the elephants in their natural environment. Mm. And then the last night we went and spent the night at the park and you know, that has like, you know, 500 cats, 600 dogs, a lot of them wow. disabled and there's farm animals and then all the elephants. So uh, my goal is to go back and, and bring Wade's kids and go to the park and stay for a week. And all the food was vegan because Lech Shaler, the owner, is vegan. Mm. And that was incredible. But yeah. back to Gods and Shackles. So Sangeeta has just released a book with Hay House India and Hay House Carlsbad by the same name, Gods mm. and Shackles. Louise Hayes's publication. <laughs> yes. yes. I do Louise, remember, your, remember your girlfriend. Louise well. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're just thrilled. It's on the best-selling, uh, best-sellers list in India right now. Oh, amazing. Which it goes into much more detail about what's happening to, I mean, they're, you know, they're captive, taken from the wild and shackled and they, they beat them into submission. It's, it's pretty mm. Horrific. So she's trying to get laws passed and she started this nonprofit voice for Asian elephant society. And I'm helping her to raise awareness and funds. She's implemented some great programs already to help the human elephant conflict. It's just for one thing, I know this sounds crazy, but they can't see each other. Like it'll be so dark that the they'll collide. And so she started a flashlight program where every member of the family gets a flashlight and so that's, that has helped a ton. Um, you know, the elephants will come in and eat their crops that they're depending on for their livelihood. So right. she's just mm. working to help 
things like that. Right now she's mm-hmm. got a, she's working with the railroads. I mean, the elephants for some reason do not hear the rumbling of the trains and are literally, I don't even want to show you pictures, but they're bad. Yeah. They get hit. Don't they? Like oh five gosh. of them, mom, baby, five will just get taken out by a train because the conductor can't see them in time or stop. So well, just it takes today, a while to stop a train. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it does that. Yes. So I'm not, I'm going to send you an email just because she sent out good news today. We don't have a lot of good news lately, but <laughs> of her program with the, that she's going to be working with the train conductors and she's so excited. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm helping her cause she's, you know, she's just a newer nonprofit. Dr. Jane Goodall has written the forward to her book. She has a video testimonial on the homepage of the nonprofit site. So thank goodness she's endorsing Sangeeta's work. And so I'm really excited to help the elephants in India because they're very at risk of going extinct. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. You just have a giant heart. It's really sweet. That's um, well, I really It's kind of been a theme for your whole life. <laughs> You've been a I'm voice hearing. for the the animals yeah. your whole life. I really I just yeah. think animals are so precious and they just deserve, you know, to be treated with compassion and respect and and the world is changing for sure. I I'm very hopeful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's much easier to be vegan today than it was back in 1989 19, yeah. <laughs> or even 99 yeah. let's be honest and if even if people aren't you know um like when i worked for the humane society my apron said eat more plants and less meat yeah. and less meat so we weren't trying to make people be vegan because you know that can be overwhelming but just i just try to encourage people to eat more plant-based foods whenever you can yeah it's so funny my I was, it was 1987 i went to visit my dad and it was that summer we, we were only eating tofu <laughs> That's incredible, and I've never, Russell. We were in the central Illinois, oh about uh, an hour west of Mattoon, which was the central hub. <laughs> and uh, and I'm just like, I still can't quite wrap my head around what happened to him. Because later on, like he was, we would ha- he introduced me to fettuccine Alfredo for the first time, and I remember that. <laughs> but it was just like, what happened in 1987, Dad, in central Illinois, that you went full vegan? I'm just can't quite wow. figure it out. I need to. That's the coolest ever. You're so lucky. <laughs> it was a weird one. It was a weird one for sure. But it's certainly a lot easier now. You can't even go through Kentucky Fried Chicken now without yeah. them offering you the vegan yeah. option. Yeah, they have Beyond Meat yeah. now. They have that. Yeah, yeah. that's real. There's plant based options almost everywhere and in fast food. That's so funny yeah. you said that because I was in Kansas with my mom in the fall and I had made some tofu. And she's she's pretty open, but boy, she might as well have had a ten foot pole tasting that tofu. <laughs> I mean, she looked at me like she just like took off the tiniest corner. I'm like, mom, it's it's like the texture of chicken, you know? It was all yeah. boiled and fluffy. It's, and she's like, or, oh, that's not so bad. But you could tell she was never going to do it again. It's like eating a piece <laughs> of bread, you know? It's just like it's not. It's the texture. The texture is like it's just. That's so funny though. Like my parents, because I went vegan when I was sixteen. Oh my gosh, Harmony. Yeah, I didn't stay vegan. Okay. Still, I did have like this period of time where I was vegan, and I'd just read a diet for a small planet or diet for a small America. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And 
So I was making like uh, scrambled tofu for my parents and I try and like make them different things using tofu. And my parents were very like, um, that's nice. We really appreciate you made us breakfast. We just don't really like tofu. But then over the years, it's been interesting because we keep, I keep feeding them tofu and different things. Yeah. Wow. And now they actually don't have such an aversion to it. The so they kind of got used to it. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's amazing. You know, that's the same book that helped me go vegan, Diet for a New America by John Robbins. Yes, yep. yes. It's so impactful. Oh gosh, he's he is literally my number one vegan hero. He chucked, you know, the whole Baskin Robbins plant-based, I mean, yes. I mean, excuse me, fortune to go plant-based. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. We were, we were just watching um, the National Geographic geographic uh jeff goldblum special which is oh. amazing oh. yeah was it the world so, according to jeff goldblum, the world okay, according to jeff goldblum. it's amazing that. it's so quirky and funny and one of the episodes is is about ice cream the other one's like about you know, tattoos tattoos or, or gym shoes yeah. it goes and he investigates the whole thing huh. and he went up to um it's on it's on disney plus it's on okay disney. thank you and he he went up to go interview the Baskin Robbins guys. Is it? Ba- yeah, no, it's not Baskin Robbins. Uh, Tom, no, not Ben Tom, and Jerry. Ben and Jerry. He went in. We, he went to go interview the Ben and Jerry's guys, and I did notice that one of them did not eat his ice cream cone. Uh, also, no, one of them, one of them got sorbet, like a uh, plant based, and he said it in it because oh, he said one, it was a yeah, sorbet? one of them doesn't eat dairy at all yeah, anymore. Yeah. Oh, but wow. they didn't go into it on they didn't, the they didn't no. they didn't but, stress it. But yeah. he did get Jeff to taste it. And he said it's all plant based. Wow, that's, that's so oh, that's okay, so yeah. good for them. Well, you know, I believe with John Robbins, you know, his uncle and his dad were the Baskin Robbins duo. And yeah. the, right. the uncle, yeah. I think, died of heart disease in, in, like 50, in his early 50s. And the dad yeah. got type 2 diabetes from, and right. John thought it was from all the, I mean, he said they had yeah. they had ice cream for breakfast, they had an ice cream cone, Jake's <laughs> swimming pool, you know, they were, they, and, you know, the whole China study is based on the protein, yeah, the dairy, the dairy, the casein, the casein right? causing yeah. cancer. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And my husband who just walked in, he, when he was a cop, he said he ate a lot of Ben and Jerry's and then he ended up getting cancer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah, he was, that, yeah, he was very stressed too though. Yeah. But there is, there's, I mean, there is science behind, behind it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the China study is a great book to, that shows that there is, you know, this it's more than just correlation. It's pretty strong science. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's a, it's an amazing book, mm-hmm. and that's helped. I noticed that you and I read a lot of the same books because also Meditations from the Mat was one of the first books that really like inspired me in in my daily yoga practice Aww. and like developing a daily practice too. I was like, oh my gosh, we've been on the same book journey. I know. <laughs> you know, I was thinking of you with your Vipassana. My, one of my first meditation books was Jack Cornfield, A Path with Heart. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. That one's like the best. And then Teek Nhat Hanh mm-hmm. wrote this beautiful little book called Be Still and Know. Uh, yes, and, I have that Oh one. yeah. I just, I can barely say his name without bursting into tears. Oh, he just I passed. Know. I know. Oh, he's just such a pure, just like an angel. Yeah. And he was, well, he was vegan. I was so grateful. And his monasteries were vegan. And the, yeah, and he was qu- quite an activist as well. Yes. 
Very much. Well, the worst thing is would be if these old people wouldn't ever die. <laughs> it's true. That would be the actual worst if they just kept going. <laughs> I mean, so we don't want that I mean, he either. Really, I had heard he had a stroke and hadn't been able to talk for the last few years. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah I well, that's think he, not so I think nice, he wasn't in a pleasant, maybe like a little bit of a suffering state. Yeah. 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 If you follow on Instagram, if you go to Plum Village, yesterday they were carrying his ashes. It was so profound. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really. He, but he's, you know, there's that documentary called Walk With Me about mm. Plum Village. And he, you know, he was like, I will always be with you. You know, it's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. And the little kids are like, Tay, Tay is with me. Tay is in the clouds. <laughs> Yeah. David Lynch made that film, right? Fire Walk With Me. And then (laughs) there was the Laura Palmer was. Uh, was She was in Plum Village. No, that's not it. Bob, right? Bob was a major figure at the village. No, that's the other one. Well, maybe you could tell us about your new book. Okay. Thank you. So I know. So this is completely a shift for me because I've never had children, but I had, I'm a, I'm a bona fide crazy cat lady. I love cats. <laughs> I volunteer at my animal shelter in the cat room with the other crazy cat ladies. And so I've been really blessed to have amazing cats, but I had two brother cats, Julian and Oliver, and they, I got them when they were rescued off the street. Some beautiful woman brought them to my vet and I had, they lived to be 17 and 20. My Oliver just passed last year. And so we were like the three amigos. This is pre-Wade, you know, we, we, (laughs) you know, um, even before I owned my yoga studio. So they were like my best friends and soulmates. So when Oliver passed, I was very distraught and I just decided, you know what, I, I'm going to write a book about my boys. And so it's called Karma Cats to the Rescue and they are little superhero cats. That's amazing. And they help other animals in need. So it's very, it's very fun. It's like, it's a long story. I had to rewrite it, change illustrators, but I have an amazing illustrator in Vietnam and she is just, she is just knocking it out of the park. It's like a little Pixar, Pixar cats, you know, and she's just doing Uh such a great job. So we have a ways to, we only on page 11. She's got 20 more pages. So I'm hoping summer, maybe the end of summer, it's up to her, but my end, my part of it is done. I'm just, you know, waiting on her, but it's, it's a really precious story. And I, I have some sequels planned, Karma Cats to the Farm and Karma Cats to the Sea and hopefully Karma mm. Cats to the Elephant Park in Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is Hay House your publisher? How do you, how do you get all this, these publications? You know what? I wish. Wouldn't that be a miracle? No, I, I just self-publishing because okay. if something would happen and, um, of course I would, you know, entertain the Jump idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hey house, you cannot submit your own, um, manuscript. You either have they, to they, they go and find it. You have to they? have an agent or if you right. attend one of their workshops for writing, I believe that there's a chance that they may pick one of you. Right. Yeah. yeah, which, yeah. Is, which is amazing. And I understand. So, um, I am just going to write it and put it out there and see what happens. Wow. Yeah. You have so much creative energy. It's <laughs> boundless. Really yeah. Go. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I, mm. I never really thought of myself that way, but I'll, I will take that. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's there. I mean, you've, it's like it's like when you were a child, you had so much like active mo- mm-hmm. movement energy and you've just channeled that into like creativity now. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really grateful that I've had some ideas because I, I got kind of depressed after I owned my studio because my identity was so wrapped in it. It was really, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't even healthy anymore. I'm like, gosh, who am I without my studio? And right. you know how everybody has their signature and their email with all their credentials. One day, exactly. One day I just took them all off. I'm like, I am no, I am no one. <laughs> <laughs> but I need, to, I need to like let's see what else can happen I don't need to you know it was just kind of yeah. like non-attachment I don't need to be this I don't need to be an ex- any of this you know mm-hmm. well for a lot of us you know who've been doing Ashtanga yoga for 25 or 30 years it, it does when you make a choice to say well I'm not going to teach and I'm going to take the you know Stanford University I'm going to take Stanford University off my email signature it does it does it can hit pretty hard you know, that whole, that whole sense of self-identification and attachment and identification with a, with a brand. And you start to say, well, well, what am I now? I know it was, it was, it was an ass kicker and it was really good for me (laughs) (laughs) because it really kind of opened me up because I, I'm very aware of my mortality. I want to live a long life, but I also know I have no idea. I don't have children, you know, Yogananda has helped me. I have zero fear of dying whenever it happens. You know, Mm. I just know that I'm here and I I really want to do what God put me here to do. I want to do everything I can until it's time. So it's good to clear the slate because I feel like it opens the door for something new. And even though you can't see it, but just like little ideas start popping in your head. And then I just encourage people to act on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's well, amazing. And you're also doing some work with uh, Yoga Gives Back too. You're yes, an ambassador, Yes, I right? love going to uh, – did you go with Kyoko? I never went with Kyoko, no. It was really the best thing ever. I mm-hmm. I just loved meeting the women who received the microloans. That was yeah. absolutely incredible for me. I think that's really the, maybe my best experience of my whole life. Wow. That and the elephants. But meeting those women who were so beyond grateful, I mean, they, mm. they would – First, they worship Kyoko as they should, but just being affiliated with her, they're down touching your feet, you know, they were so grateful. I got to meet nine different groups to see what they're doing and they would hire their friends from the local communities because I mean, you know, if you're, you're like a domestic slave all day, you're just sitting in your house all day, you know, working for your family, usually the husband's family and you don't, you don't get to do much. So to see them getting out of their Mm -hmm. house and having this circle of community doing their crafts was just the mm. best. And then we saw two, two of the young girls taking their YGB bank bag, going to the bank to make a deposit, awesome. <laughs> you know, so you know how much power, you know, so many of them are abused, don't get fed, sleeping yeah. outside. I mean, we saw it all. It was terrible. I had no idea the yeah. abuse was so bad, but you know, Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's rampant. It's like, <laughs> It's really, it's, it was so, so depressing, but like, thanks to Kyoko and everybody who donates and and all the ambassadors like you, I mean, they really are changing lives. I mean, that whole saying for one yoga class, you could change a life. I mean, it's true. They can take $50 US and spin it into a whole business with their, you know, yeah, it's so, yeah, it's so amazing. And I think, 
just like you're saying, if you've spent any time with with women in India who especially are of a lower caste class or caste who, you know, basically are domestic servants yeah. for their in-laws. Yep. And, you know, abuse is just considered um, part of the package. I remember speaking with my nanny and she was telling me that her uh, sister's husband was abusing, like hitting her. And I said, why doesn't she leave? And she says, well, she would get more abused leaving him Mm -hmm. by others physically than staying with him. Yeah. I I just. And yeah, the only thing that that helps change these situations is empowering women and giving them the power to make their own money, to create bank accounts for themselves, to have work outside of the home. It's, it's incredible. It is. I mean, Kyoko has single-handedly changed. I can't even thousands of lives. And then we spent a week with those women. And then we spent a week with the children at Dina Bandhu, which is about Chama Rajnagar is about an hour from Mysore. Mm-hmm. And that was incredible. Those kids, some are, some are orphans, some are from poor families and can't afford school. So they live there with the most amazing man who's like Gandhi, Dr. J. Dev. And they are just brilliant, beautiful children. They get up early, they meditate together, they eat together, they go to school. It was, it was fascinating. And they were so nice. They, they look at me and they're like, I love your chin. <laughs> my, my chin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm so I'm so like white Kansas, you know. So I really, I really <laughs> like. I never thought about my chin before. Uh, yeah. And you're and you're blonde too. I mean, they really love. It's just so. Yeah. And they were just. I just so exotic. I, I adored yeah. them. I wanted to. You can ask Wade. I always wanted to adopt like an eight year old girl from India, and mm-hmm. I had my eye on a few. And Wade's like, she has parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nick one. You cannot yeah. take her, but um, yeah. Put her in the suitcase. If you ever can go, Harmony. It's just it was so yeah, rewarding. I'd love to. It was, and it just you know. And now I don't have a studio. And I don't have. I don't even teach her. So I'm hoping to do an online vegan cooking class for YGB because I had done that for the Elephant Nature Park during COVID, and it was really fun. So that's that's how I hope to contribute. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you do oh with us today. It's really fantastic. And I hope some people check you out on YouTube and like come to some of your online courses and you have a retreat coming up, I think in Costa Rica or somewhere yeah. beautiful. We just actually got home this weekend, but we're going to do it again next March and it's on my website. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you both. Yeah. I feel like we're all besties now. <laughs> yeah. I would love to come by. Meet Wade. Yeah. Amazing. If I'm in your area, I'm definitely oh, gonna look you absolutely. up. Absolutely. <laughs> Please and if you're doing a I can't if you're doing a workshop, I can come watch. I'm not sure I can do everything anymore, but uh, <laughs> no we worries, can't do no everything worries. Anymore It'll be gentle oh. yoga. Yeah, yeah. I would love to and the other thing I mean, I'm getting into is sound healing, which has been really beautiful. Crystal bowls. Yeah. Oh, like the like those sound baths. Yeah, doing sound baths. Oh, so I can, yeah. if you guys come, I'll give you a sound bath. Okay. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> for sure. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. It was so wonderful. Thank you both. Take good care. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. 
with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a heart.